Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. I hope you are as excited as I am, and um, I don't know that anybody's excited as Michelle Summer. I mean, Michelle Summers. Oh my! I hadn't thought about Michelle. Some of y'all know who Michelle Summers is. Others of you have no idea who I'm talking about. She's a dear sister that has uh, moved away. Anyway, I was talking about Michelle Whitman. That's who I meant. Um, just excited about VBS. I pray that you are. And, and what God has done in the lives of 14 children. And here's the, here's the really cool thing now. The privilege that we have to disciple them. And so I ask you, please pray. This, this was their first steps. Please pray for these young, young lives and their parents as our, our, our teams go to make contact with them, um, those parents, to let them know what their, their kids have done and uh, what we can do to help them follow the Lord Jesus in ways that make a real difference in their lives in the here and now. And so I, I just, just pray with, with us about that. Um, it's an exciting thing. Hey, we, we've got part of us who are not here today. Um, some on vacation, obviously. But there's a special group uh, from among us that are actually out serving the Lord. And can we bring their picture up? Them right there. Pastor Terry. Yeah. Pastor Terry has taken our mission serve team uh, up the coast to uh, parts of North Carolina that were ravaged by two different hurricanes. They're still digging out, recovering uh, up there. And so a team of our young people have, uh, have headed up there. And so I want to invite you to be in prayer for them. Their names are in your newsletter. You can pray for each of them by name this week. I strongly encourage you, if you didn't get one on the way in, you can get one on the way out. They're on tables. But you can pray for uh, our brothers and sisters by name. They're going and they're going to do construction. But the reason they're going to do construction is to demonstrate the, the gospel so that they can speak the gospel. And so one of the prayers that I know is on the hearts of our team is that you would pray that they would be given multiple opportunities to tell every man, woman, and child that they come in contact with multiple times the story of the gospel, the story of Jesus. So if you would pray that for Pastor Terry and this team, we, it, would, it would be a blessing for them, I know. Also, just thinking about Pastor Terry, just so that you know this because he's going to come back. He'll be with us next Sunday. Um, and then you won't see him for about a month probably because he is taking a well-deserved sabbatical. Um, back uh, in the early spring, late winter, March, February, March, uh, our elders uh, suggested to Pastor Terry uh, we, we wanted to give him some extended time away to just pray, be with the Lord, search uh, his heart in some matters. And uh, he uh, said he didn't think so at first, but then he came back and said, yes, I, I want to do this. And there are a lot of things going on. One of, one of the things that some of you know, I don't know if all of you know, Pastor Terry's brother's brother, Pat, is um, uh, his body was attacked and ravaged by a, a kind of cancer that is just very unforgiving, like, like there's any kind of cancer then, but um, very hard to treat. And he's in kind of the critical season of his treatments right now. And Terry wanted to be able to spend some extended time with him and also had some opportunities to do some, uh, maybe some unique serving where he wasn't having to be in charge, just could go serve the Lord with some other brothers and sisters. So he will start his sabbatical and it will be a month-long sabbatical in the month of July. So I'm encouraging you, please, pray for Pastor Terry during that season. You know, we talked last week about rest. 
And one of the things we looked at was where the scriptures tell us that God even gives dirt a year off every seventh year. So we really believe this was an opportunity that was well deserved and, and well uh, beyond where it should have been in giving this to, to Pastor Terry. So pray for him for that. Also, some of you will recall that as we talked about, are any of y'all blinded over there by any of these vehicle lights? You're good this time. The first service was like blinded by the spotlight, so I tried to unplug them. But anyway, um, what was I talking? Oh, July. Uh, in the month of July, we are kind of sabbaticaling as a church, and we're going to do, do a schedule change. What is our schedule change going to be? One service at what time? 10.30, okay? 1.30, one service, 10.30. Um, not 1.30. One service, 10.30. There we have it. Um, so make sure you get that on your calendar starting in July. Not next week, but starting in, in July. And so I, I hope you make plans on that. Uh, those of you with preschoolers, you will take them like you normally do straight to their preschool class. Those of you with grade schoolers will bring them in for the first part of our service. They will be here to teach you how to praise the Lord. Okay, that's why we're bringing them in because some of you need help. You're, you, you're in remedial school for praising the Lord. And so we want them in here because they get excited when they praise the Lord. And so um, they'll be with us uh, sharing in... Uh, the, the praise and, and, and worship part of our service before we get to the teaching word and then they will go out for some unique discipling experiences on their own and then you'll be stuck probably with me. Sorry. It's just your lot in life, I guess. Um, hey, we, we've been in a series uh, walking through the book of Ephesians and uh, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4 today. If you want to go ahead and turn there, you can. Um, one of the things that's true about almost all of the letters Paul wrote and is especially true of the book of Ephesians is it's almost always divided in half. And the first half of his book is almost always about doctrine. About, about the, the, that the just deep riches that we have in Christ Jesus. And then uh, on the second half, it's more about our response to that. So the first half is almost always about our covenant relationship with our good and beautiful Father through His Son, Jesus Christ. And then the last half is almost always about our kingdom responsibilities. Uh, the way that we respond to the beauty and glory and goodness uh, of God. And um, we expressed that just a moment ago as we, as we shared in, in communion together. We experienced the, the beauty and glory of what Jesus has done for us. And we responded by participating in the Lord's Supper. Now, the, the last three chapters that we start today in chapter 4 is where we're going to launch into. Really get into this responsibility. First half was kind of about the wealth that we have um, in Jesus. The last half of this book, and you're going to see this throughout the remainder of our study. You're going to see the word walk come up a lot. I'd encourage you to circle that as you walk through the book of Ephesians. Uh, that, that phrase is going to come up a lot. And today what we're going to focus on is Paul's urging the church of Jesus Christ to walk in unity. I remember reading a story about a man who uh, was shipwrecked. He was the sole survivor of a, of a shipwreck back in the days of those great big wooden, you know, galleon ships. And they would, uh, he, he drifted on some wood and finally came to a deserted island. It was kind of an uncharted island. No, it's not Gilligan and the Skipper 2. Just, it's a different story, okay? Anyway, this guy gets there and he, he, he's, he's, he's saved alive. He's, he's alone, stranded on this deserted island for years and years and years. And um, finally, he, you know, after he 
he, he has to learn how to forage and fish and take care of himself and uh, build shelter. He does all that. And after years and years, uh, finally, uh, he sees a ship passing closely enough. He builds a fire and gets their attention. And they send a rescue party to, to this island. And they get on the island and he's so excited. They're so excited. They, they, they find out how long he's been there. They can't believe how long he's been there. And um, so he takes them in, kind of into the interior of the island and they come to a clearing and when they get to this clearing there are three buildings that this guy has built and one of them is obviously his house and so this is he says this is where I've been living and they just are amazed at his craftsmanship and uh, they come to the second building and it's got a cross on it and so one of the guys says is this did you build a church dude and he said yep yep this is my church this is where I worship God well one of the other guys on the on the the rescue party said well what is that third building and he said, well, that was the church I used to belong to, but I had a fight and I moved my membership. <laughs> ah, yeah, I know. It's bad. It's bad, bad, bad. But here's, here's the truth. In church, sometimes things don't go smoothly. Sometimes thing, everything is just not the way that God intends. And Paul addresses this in, in, in this letter. He, he, he addresses this and just like in the little story, you know, the, so often issues in the church start inside. And I don't mean inside the walls. I mean inside of us. That's where issues in the church start. They start inside of us. And Paul launches into our kingdom responsibilities by addressing one of these great issues. And it really sets the course for the rest of all that he's going to say that the people of the kingdom are responsible for. And this is what he says in Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 7. I'm going to put my glasses on and open my Bible and read it, okay? Uh, Paul, Paul says this. Therefore... No, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. This is the word of the Lord. Now I want to draw your attention back to verse 3 this morning. It really is the anchor of this, this passage because Paul does some building ahead of it and some building behind it. So I want to go back and, and just call your attention to verse 3. In the ESV it's translated, be eager to maintain the unity of spirit. The New American Standard translates it, be diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit. NIV says make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit. Today's English version, do your best to preserve the unity which the Spirit gives. And then the New King James says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit. Now, as we said, chapter 4 is launching the last half of this letter. And Paul is quickly shifting his gears from the, just the glorious display and, and some, of, some incredible prayers he prayed regarding our life in Christ because of his life, his teaching, his sacrificial death, his 
burial and his resurrection from the dead. Which gives us our, our relationship with God through his covenant sacrifices. And now Paul says it's time to look at how we respond to that. What are our kingdom responsibilities? And he says we have to do everything. Everything in our power to maintain the unity that the spirit gives. And the, the Spirit is the one who inspired Paul to write this down as kind of his launching point into kingdom work. To, to work diligently towards unity. This isn't a new concept. The psalmist writes in Psalm 133, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers, it doesn't say this, but and sisters, you're included, brothers and sisters dwell in unity. King Solomon, who the scriptures tell us was the wisest man in Proverbs 6, he, he wrote about six things that he says the Lord hates. And in verse 19 he says, the Lord hates one who sows discord among brothers. God hates that. He, he just, he hates that. And so what Paul is doing here is he's picking up a, a great theme really that he introduced in, in Ephesians chapter 2 in verses 13 and 14. He says, but now in Christ, Jesus, you were once far off having been brought near by the blood of Christ for he himself is our peace. He has made us both one. He has broken down in his flesh the dividing walls of hostility. In, in Jesus, in his body, he tore down the wall of hostility between man and God. He tore down the hostility be between human beings. He, he has done this work. And it says he became our peace. He tore down this, this wall of hostility. And he, he's become our peace. And Paul is now saying because Jesus suffered, bled, and died. We are charged to keep watch over. Did you remember what it said? Over that bond of peace that he built through his pain and suffering. Conquering death for us. And again, remember, Paul says, do everything to maintain th that unity that Jesus bought for us. Do everything you can to keep it. And so the scriptures, as we read, Paul tells us that this is, this is our mission. Now, one of the things that Paul uses in many of his letters, and he does it here um, in, in the letter to the Ephesians. Later on in chapter 4, you'll, we'll come to this. But I want to jump ahead for just a minute. He uses a metaphor. You're probably familiar with this. Often, Paul uses the metaphor of the church as the body of Christ. And, 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 and we are. But I want you to look at this verse. Verses 15 and 16. He says, Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head. That is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now again, Paul, who's inspired by the Holy Spirit, in all of his letters, he calls the church the body of Christ because that is actually what we are. And so this morning, I want to borrow from Paul's language. I want to kind of, kind of push that metaphor up the hill just a little bit more. And I want to give you what I think of as four muscles of unity and seven ligaments of unity. We'll, we'll explain those just a little bit more what that means. But when we realize that, you know, the, the, the human body that you have has muscles. And God gave you those muscles. Now what you have to do is you have to exercise them on their atrophy. 
You have to work them out. You have to do something with them. And so the same is true of the muscles of unity that God has given us that Paul writes about here. And we're going to see each one of those. Another way to think of those muscles is graces. These are, this is a grace that God gives to his people. These are four gracings, if you would, that God gives to his people. And so Paul says this, walk in a manner worthy of your calling, which you have been called, in verse 2, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Now the first muscle that Paul describes there, when he's telling us, here's what you use to diligently uh, preserve the unity of the Spirit, he says it starts with humility. Humility. And humility is, is a lowliness. It's, it's really worth clarifying here. I, I don't know if you've ever, you know, paid somebody a compliment about something that they've done. Maybe the way that they've served you in a, in a great way in the church or something like that. And th their, their immediate response is, it ain't me, it's Jesus. We know. Sometimes people use that as a false modesty. It's not, it's not really humility. Sometimes they just, you almost, you ever had somebody do it and you almost felt rebuked? You know? You, you almost felt like they were rebuking you? Th that is most likely not really humility. It, it's something else. See, the, the Bible says humility is a proper estimation really of who you are in relationship to God, God Almighty. It's a, it's a divine ability to be somewhat self-forgetful. I didn't say forgetful. I said forgetting yourself a little bit more. It's not, it's not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. You've probably heard that before. But that's what humility is. It's a quiet virtue. Truly humble people don't realize they're humble until somebody else may point it out. You may not, may not even know it. But Paul describes this as, as a muscle that we must exercise for unity to come about. He tells the church at, at, at Philippi in Philippians chapter 2 verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Don't do anything out of a spirit of rivalry or, or conceit. Instead, think significantly of others. And see, that's, that's the essence of human, humility. And it's a muscle that we must exercise if we're going to maintain the unity that the Spirit is giving. So, right now, for just a second, maybe you, we all need to ask ourselves, how am, I, how am I doing in the humility? And I would encourage you as we go through all four of these to ask yourself that kind of probing question, how am I doing? Am I, here am I living in humility or has this muscle atrophied because I'm filled with pride? How are you doing with humility? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you about this? The second muscle of, of uh, unity is the muscle of gentleness. Some translations translate it, the, use the word meekness instead of gentleness. It uses the word meek. And sometimes people think of meekness, somebody who's meek and mild as weakness. And actually it's the exact opposite. See, meekness when it's probably, properly exercised is actually a very powerful, one of the most powerful muscles that we have. Because true meekness is basically power under control. 
That, that's, that's what gentleness is. Gentleness is a, is a self-controlled person. It's not somebody who's rash or, you know, somebody who feels the need to, to update their Facebook every time they have an emotional, you know, moment. It, here's the way to think of gentleness and, and meekness is this is somebody that between their mind and their mouth, they have a filter, Okay? It filters. These are, this is what somebody in gentleness of spirit has. And they are great at maintaining unity. I find it incredibly important to, to realize here that Jesus describes himself with these two characteristics. In, in Matthew chapter 11, a passage that so many of us love, verse 29, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon you. If you're tired, weary, heavy laden, take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart. And you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says of himself, I'm meek, I'm lowly, I'm gentle, I'm humble. And when we submit ourselves to Jesus and his rule over us, he doesn't jerk us around, he doesn't beat us up. The Bible says he, he serves us. He lowers himself. He, he emptied himself, the Bible says in Philippians. He took on the form of a slave. Because that's what Jesus does. And when we're brought into the spirit of Jesus, one of the things that happens to us is we, we begin to live that out in a spirit of gentleness. The third muscle of unity that Paul gives us is this word patience or living patiently. It's the, the Greek word is actually a combination of two words. The first part of it being a, 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 a long time, a lengthy period of time. The second part being rage. And so what, what patience really means is somebody who has a long fuse. It takes them a long time to get angry. They, they don't just blow up immediately. Now that's the, not to say, you know, some people think that means that they don't have, they don't have a wick. That they, that, you know, patient people never get angry. Well patient people, you know, they, they have a wick. It just takes them a long time before they light it. Patient people get angry. But they get angry in, in righteous ways. And their anger is not, it's not easily provoked. The Apostle Peter writing about this, and most of you remember, he probably struggled with that a little bit himself. The Apostle Peter said, For God is pleased with you when you do what you know is right... And patiently endure unfair treatment. See, there's this connection to, you're going to do what's right. Patient people do what's right. But they endure. They, 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 they endure this suffering. See, this is a muscle which our culture is desperate for today in such uncivil times. People who will be patient. People who don't immediately read something in Twittersphere and respond. Our culture needs, but more than our culture needs that, our church needs it. The church of Jesus Christ needs that in the world today because it, you know, it will stand out. It will display the beauty and glory of God if the people of God will practice patience, if we'll exercise that muscle. You know, it's, it's a muscle that relies on that bond of peace. Patient people are peacemakers. They seek to bring about peace. The fourth muscle of unity that we must employ, Paul uses this language, a word that we don't use a lot, but it's the word forbearance. 
That's what it means to bear with one another. As Paul said, it's the word forbearance. In, in verse uh, 15, we talked, we read it a moment ago. I'm going to just read it to you again. It says, instead speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head that is Christ. We do speak the truth. Now, here's what most of us want to do. We want to speak my truth. I don't want to hear your truth. Let me speak my truth. Paul did not say anything about speaking your truth. Paul said we must speak the truth and always do it in what? In love. If you can't do it in love, keep your mouth shut. What your mama used to tell you? If you can't say nothing nice about somebody, don't say nothing at all. You know. This is a little... Where is truth revealed? How do you know what truth is? Right here. Truth is revealed in the word of God and sometimes the truth doesn't line up with your truth or my truth. This is the truth that Paul is talking about. And so forbearance means we, we will speak the truth sometime, but we do it in love. Uh, the, writers of Pro, the writer of Proverbs says this in Proverbs 19. Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. Forbearance sometimes accepts the consequences of somebody else's actions. And again, this, this, this muscle, this virtue is closely related to patience. You know, Paul here is asking the Ephesians to basically do this. Will you please put up with each other? Do you have anybody in your life, and, and, but he said, and do it in love. Do you have anybody in your life right now that you feel like you're just putting up with? Anybody got, got you know, sometimes they're, they're called EGRs. Anybody know any EGRs? No, don't raise your hand. If you don't, EGR is an extra grace required person. That's what an EGR is. And if you don't know any EGRs, more than likely you're it. It's just the truth. Now, here's one of the reasons that passage is very comforting to me. It's strangely comforting. It's because if it's in the Bible, it's pointing to some reality. And the reality is that, point, that it's pointing to is there is going to be conflict between Christians. It's going to come. Or Paul wouldn't have had to write. This, would, this wouldn't exist if, if it wasn't going to come. And so he's commanding. He's saying as a response to the love that you have received from God through Jesus Christ. Man, be patient with each other. And remember, Paul knows these people. He knows them. The Spirit knows them. And the Spirit knows us. And so many ways we're like them. We're, we're people that need to be put... I'm a person that needs to be put up with sometimes. Amen, honey? You know? It's, it's, uh, there's probably a lot of amens out there. Thank you for not shouting them. You know, they're, they're, uh, we are all people who need to be put up with sometimes. You know, it, in my mind, it's just a relief to know that Paul recognizes that in church, there are going to be sinful, aggravating people. There's, there's just going to be. You know, and oftentimes we, we find, we some, somehow find some kind of sick solace in coming up with what the ideal church should be. Anybody ever been looking for the ideal church? People are always looking for, for the ideal church. And here's what happens. When people fall short of those ideals, you know, it's easy to become disillusioned. 
It's to be expected. That's why Paul is giving us a healthy dose of reality because the, the biblical community is not a country club, folks. It, it's just, it's not a country club where everybody's going to look and act like you think they should look and act. There's going to be EGRs. I heard one guy say that true biblical community is this. It's the place where the person you least want to live with always shows up. That's when you know you're in biblical community. You know, the person you least want to live with shows up to the meeting. You know, and that's just true. Again, the apostle Peter, you know, he was brash in his day. But when, when the spirit got a hold of him, he writes these words. He says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. I'm a big sinner and I need my sins to have a covering. And we need to keep earnestly loving one another because you're a big sinner too. And you need a covering there. Now, we have to, we have to, we're called by God to confront and rebuke sinful behavior. But sometimes, don't forget, sometimes what we think of as sin is just personal preference. There's a difference. You know, the, the starting point, that's why the starting point is always forbearance. And people can be difficult for, for many, many reasons. Some, some because they're living in unrepented, unconfessed sin. But mostly, that's not the case. Mostly people are just a little bit different than you. And they may rub you the wrong way and you probably rub some of them the wrong way. Some people are just oblivious to the way they come across. And is it necessary to speak a word of correction to those people in love if it continues and they just aggravate everybody? Yes. Yes, you have to stop and do that in love. But do they need to be corrected every time they aggravate you? No. Maybe, no, not me. We need to practice putting up with one another just a little bit. We need to exercise that muscle. We need to walk in a manner worthy of the calling that we have been called with all humility and gentleness and patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And Paul says that's what keeps things moving. That's the strength around, this is the muscles of unity. But then he tells us, not only do we have to exercise those muscles, there's, there's something that, that keeps all this together. There's something that does this. In, in your physical body, you have a structure called a skeletal structure. And your skeletal structure is made up of bones, but it's also made up of soft tissues that hold those bones together called tendons and ligaments. Well, I want us to think together about th these connecting things that hold the church together. These, these seven ligaments of unity, if you would. And basically what they are really are seven foundational truths of the church. That Paul lays out here. You know, that we celebrate when we take communion. We, we take, we, it is a truth about Jesus, about us being the body of Christ, about, about the new covenant. And these hold together the structure that is any New Testament church. They're foundational to unity. 
And we must hold to these dearly. If you want to look back at the scripture, in verse 3 he says, Be eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And then verses 4 and 5 he goes into, he says, There's one body and one Spirit, just as you've been called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, for I jump into that, let me say one more thing about biblical unity. Biblical unity is not uniformity. We do not have to be a congregation of clones. We don't all have to look alike or dress alike. You know, sometimes people will ask me, well, what, what, do, you, what, do, what do you have to wear at your church? Well, I start answering that question by saying, uh, we're not a clothing optional church. You must wear clothes. Okay, be clear about that. But we don't have a uniform. You know, you don't have to come. You can come pretty much as you are. Be modest. But come, come as you are. I love being able to tell people that. You know, you can come as you are. We don't, we don't have uniforms because uniforms don't keep unity. You know, they don't do that. They, uniforms don't make you a We're not a union. That's not, that's not what we are. We don't have to be exactly the same. I mean, you can be in some churches where they all dress alike and there's no unity. You know, I've, I've seen that happen. You can, you know, you can have a union without unity. Okay, all you cat lovers, just go ahead and throw something because you're going to want to throw something when I say this. But if you take two alley cats and you tie their tails together, you have union. I guarantee you, you don't have unity. Okay? You will not. They, they, they just, they won't be in unity. If you, you know, if you don't like what I just said, you can email me at gsmith at riverbluff.org. The, um, so what do we mean by unity? Okay? See, unity is doctrinal, yes, but it's also spiritual. And Paul tells us it's held together with understanding, grabbing hold of, and clinging to these seven truths. And the first one is this. We are one body. We're, we're one body. Now, what does that mean? What is this, this one body? Well, one body. Notice, notice what he did. He said, he didn't say you're one congregation. See, the body of Jesus Christ is bigger than any one church. That's why we do Kingdom Sunday. One of the reasons to remind us it's not about us. There's, there, God has something bigger going on. We get to be a small little dot in that. And we celebrate the work God is doing in other churches. But there is one body. Because the church is a spiritual body. It's not a corporation with like Jesus is the president and CEO. The church is an actual spiritual body with Jesus as its head. And there's a big difference. Jesus, it's not, this, this idea of one body is not about one denomination. I've had somebody, you know, ask me before, are you one of those, you know, part of, are you part of that Baptist church that thinks only Baptists are going to be in heaven? Well, I am not part of a Baptist church like that. And here's why. Because there's a lot of Baptists I don't think are going to be in heaven. I'm, I'm more narrow-minded than that. You know? Because it's not about whether you're Episcopalian or whether you show up at a Baptist church or whether you were brought up Catholic. The question is Jesus. What have you done with Jesus? What have you done with him? Have you received him? Have you trusted him? Because that's the only thing that's going to make a difference. You have to be born again in Jesus. 
And then you're part of the body of Christ. Now, there are local expressions of that body and the New Testament points to that. The New Testament points this out. There is the church there and then there's the church here. There's the local New Testament church. Church Universal and then those little outposts all over the world. And from my study of God's word, I sincerely believe it is on the heart of God that everyone who claims the name of Jesus be a member, committed, united, locked into in unity with another group of people. A, a local church. That you be a member of a local church. That you're united at that level. And the question you got to ask yourself, do I believe that? And if you believe that, are you? Are you united in membership? Have you, are you part of a covenant-keeping community? Because you ought to be. Now, I want to say this. If you're not, you're welcome at River Bluff. We'll show you how to do that. If you're not comfortable at River Bluff because we believe so strongly that you should be united to a church in membership, we will help you find a church that may fit you better. I'll even buy the coffee and sit down and talk to you about some of the great churches in our area that love the Lord that may fit your, your style a little differently than maybe, maybe ours do. But I want you to know you're welcome here. You're welcome to be a part of this Broken, mixed up, mess, menagerie of people that we are. Under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. You know, not only is there one body, but the Bible says, Paul says there's one spirit. And he's talking about the Holy Spirit, who is the one who is the substance of our life. He is the one that is the secret of any strength that we might have. He's the source of our unity. The Holy Spirit really is the one that binds us together. He, he, he's the one that tells us, you belong to all the others. He, he reminds us of that. Does anybody in here think they know everybody's name in here? I don't. Even some of you have told me your name. I'm sorry. Keep telling me. I'll get it. Okay, we'd all, but you know who knows your name? Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit knows everybody's name and he, he, he knows you. If you're in Christ, the Spirit dwells in you. He's the source of our unity. Even though we may not know each other's names, he does. Jesus said to his disciples, you know, on the night before he would be crucified, he, he, he said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to leave you and I'm not coming back anytime soon. But I'm going to pray to the Father. And the Father's going to do this. John 14 verse 16 said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate. Jesus saying, I've been your advocate, but I'm giving you another advocate. And he will never leave you. He is the Holy Spirit. He will lead you in all truth. The world can't receive him because it isn't looking for him, doesn't recognize him. But you know him. You know him because he lives with you and now later will be in you. If you're in Christ, the Holy Spirit lives in you. Paul writes to the church at Corinth in Corinthians 12. He says this, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink from one spirit. We're, we're, we're made to all drink from one spirit, the spirit of unity. Back early in 2018... Several of us began sensing that we were to pray for unity. Um, it wasn't because there was this big fight. We weren't fighting about the color of the carpet or anything like that. It was just a sense that God was putting in the hearts of people to pray for greater unity. 
So our elders began praying. Our, some of our staff began praying. Some of you came to me and didn't even know that we were praying for it and said, I sense God's calling us to, to pray for unity. And there was this sense that God was doing that because he had, a, he had a greater challenge ahead for us. There were some things that God wanted us to do and we were going to have to be united in ways we'd never been before. And coming into the fall, we did a survey of our church. And in that survey, one of the things that began to, to, to come out was there was some kind of difference of, of thinking. And we did what we called the Great Soup Symposium. Sorry if you missed it. It was an event like no other. Um, but it, out of that, we, we began hearing stories. People began sharing their hearts. And, and two of the primary things that we began discovering was many of, of, of you didn't feel connected. And many of you shared that when you first came to this church, you didn't feel like you could get connected. You longed for it. You wanted it, but you didn't, you didn't know how. You didn't feel like anybody knew your name. And it hurt. And you heard one another. You heard each other's hearts in this. And that, that led us into a, a study together. And we launched 15 new groups out of that study. And about 100 of you got in, involved in group life who hadn't been in group life. And what that showed was the, the Holy Spirit had spoken. And we were listening together. And he began to bring unity. And some of you talked about how you experienced, didn't experience feeling connected early in. And some of you will remember. How many of you were here for Easter Sunday? Okay, do you remember Easter Sunday? There were some people that started walking around with yellow bags. And we told you if you run into anybody with a yellow bag, go up and introduce yourself, greet them warmly, because they're a first-time guest. And so we field tested the yellow bag deal. And we found out it works. It helped people feel connected really quickly. And so we're, we're beginning a, a, a greater emphasis. Now we've got a team of people who are going to come around this. And starting in July, we're going to begin this focused approach of helping new, our first time guests, as, and, as well as anybody really, um, get, get more connected. And so we've dedicated some space in our building uh, that we're calling, what are we calling it? The, the Connection Center. What a great name. The Connection Center. It's where we had the old bookstore. Go up the B hallway on your way out and look in. It's being, been renovated. It's almost done. But we're going to be using that space to help people get connected. First time guests. And some of you have committed to do that because we hurt each other's hearts. Because God wanted us united in this. In being connected with one another. That was God's, God's plan. And so we know that there's one spirit we, we know that, you know, there's one, there's one body, but there's a third thing, and it's one hope Paul tells us about. There, there, there's, there's one hope. What's that one hope? It's a hope in the power of the resurrection that Jesus is coming back. That Jesus, Jesus is going to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to return. The Bible calls that our blessed hope. It's our blessed hope. And all, all true believers are awaiting the return of Jesus. You cannot call yourself a believer or follower or disciple of Jesus Christ and not believe that he's coming back. And there are all kinds of wonderful technical terms. And there's a, this is one of the places where the church gets disunited. And my wife will tell you there was a day that I used to try to pick theological fights over this issue with people. Um, because I thought I was so right about it. Anyway, I don't do that anymore. I, I gave up being on the program committee. I switched to the welcome committee, okay? And so, but, but you've heard all millennials and post millennials and pre millennials and all, all, all this stuff. 
But here's what we all have in common. We all are anticipating the return of Jesus. None of us know the date, even though some people act like they do. Jesus said you won't know the date. You know, there, there'll be some details that may be a little bit off, but all of us have this one great and glorious hope. It's in the imminent return of Jesus. When Jesus ascended into heaven, Acts chapter 1 records this, the disciples just stood there like this. We don't know how long they stood there. They stood there long enough that God sent angels and said, What are you looking at? I mean, that's basically, Acts chapter 1 verse 11, it says this, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken away from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. He's coming back. That's our one hope. And we have one Lord, Paul tells us. We, we sang about that, that one Lord. We praise the name of the Lord our God. If you don't know, his name is Jesus. His name, it's the name that's above every other name. His name is Jesus. He is the Lord. Now, in the, in the early church, they almost never said just Jesus. We, we throw that name around a lot. They almost always said the Lord Jesus. You know why? Sometimes, you know, we, we, we think he's my Jesus. Because you think he came to take your side. He didn't come to take your side. He didn't come to take my side. He came to take over, baby. He came to take over. He is Lord of all. All. And we need to remember that. I, I think maybe we need to start saying Lord Jesus a little more. Instead of just, just Jesus to remind us. It's, it's, it's about him. It's his game. And then Paul tells us that there's, there's this one Lord who's Lord of all, but there's one faith. There's, there's just one faith. And what he's talking about is the unified body of truth that we call God's holy word, the Bible. It's not about a faith. It's about one faith. It's a, a body of truth. Uh, Jude, uh, disciple of Jesus, said this in, in Jude verse 3. He said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about a common salvation. Jude wanted to write about salvation. You know, every, he wanted to think about it. He wanted to tell other people about it. But this is what he said. But I found it necessary to write. In other words, the Holy Spirit pushed on him. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. You know how it got delivered? God inspired. God inspired men to write. And they wrote the word of God. And you and I have access to it. And, and w w folks, we've got to get a grasp on this word. We, we've got to grasp it. We've, we've, we've got to love it. We, it starts by you and I coming to the place where we say, God, I don't understand every word written in here. But from this day forward, it will be the sole source of authority in my life for making decisions. It, it will be the ultimate source of authority. I, I will go to this. I will no longer sit in judgment over your word. I will let your word sit in judgment over me. That's, that's what this one faith is about. And if there's a day ever that the church needed to hold tight to be able to contend for one faith, to, to know their faith, it is today. 
See, if, if your faith is not absolute in God's word, that it is absolute, it will eventually become obsolete. Your faith will move towards obsolete if it's not absolute in your life. There's, there's one faith, just one. Paul, just before he kind of stepped off the stage of, of, of leading and teaching the churches, he wrote this to his young disciple, his protege in ministry, Timothy. He was kind of handing the baton off. He said to Timothy, in, in 2 Timothy 4, he said, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Paul was faithful in the fight. He was faithful to the finish. And he was faithful to the, the faith. And the question is, will we be? Will, will, will you be? There's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. So which is it? Sprinkling or immersion? Do you think that's what Paul was talking about? It, it, it really wasn't. He's talking about something that goes way beyond that. He's talking about the reality that the moment you trust God, that you repent of your sin being the Lord of your own life, and you trust that Jesus is the only way to salvation, the only way for you to be made right with God, in that moment, the Bible teaches that you were baptized into the Spirit. You are immersed in the Spirit, and the Spirit is immersed in you. You become known as in Christ and, and Christ in you. That's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit is. That's when, when you get baptized. Now some of you are saying, well, I thought it was when I got in. There, there's actually a pool back there behind all the, Aren't these decorations? They're not decorations. Isn't this artwork incredible? I mean, what craftsmanship, man. Just, I, I, I was amazed when I walked in here the first time and saw this. It's just incredible the way God gives the body and people use that. Uh, Troy, is Troy Redmond in here? Troy, there's Troy back there. Troy, Troy's in the back. That, th this is mostly his craftsmanship. And just that he would employ it that way is just, just incredible to me. Now see, we, we, we practice, we believe that every believer is baptized in the Holy Spirit at their moment of salvation. We practice believers' immersion, baptism, because we also believe that Jesus told us to follow him this way. And he was immersed in the water and brought up, the Bible says. And so we practice that as a sign of what has already taken place at your salvation. We don't believe that, that water baptism saves you in any way. But spirit baptism does. Because you're not regenerated until the Spirit of God comes to live in you. And you will bust hell wide open without the Holy Spirit living in you. You, you, you will just do that. You know, sometimes I, I hear people talk about this, this, you know, this baptism, the second baptism. And I used to get uptight about it. I don't freak out about it as much. You know, and notice as I get older, I don't freak as much. You know, I don't freak out about it as much. I'll still, you know, sit down and, and debate God's word on the final, you know, little dots there. But here's what I believe. I believe you are baptized at the moment of your salvation. It's not something that only happens later. I believe that you get filled multiple times. Dear, dear God, I pray that you get filled over and over and over again. And I pray, and you better pray that I get filled over and over and over again. Because the truth is, I leak. I leak the Holy Spirit. And you do too. 
And we need to be refilled regularly. If you want to call that another baptism, baby, get baptized. I don't care. I understand it to be a filling. And we need to do it again and again and again. Is what the scripture says. There's one body and one spirit. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. And one God and Father of all who is over all and through and all. There's one Father God, y'all. There's just, just, his name is not Allah. His name is Jehovah. He is God Yahweh. He has revealed himself as a Trinitarian God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And you cannot know that God apart from Jesus. You, you, you just can't. You cannot personally know the God of all creation, Father, Son, and Spirit. You will not know one of the three of them without going through the Son. Jesus says no man, no man, no person, no woman comes to the Father but through me. And friends, these are the seven realities that we must lay hold of. These are the seven things that bind the church together. Those were the four muscles that exercise and keep unity. And God, God says in his word, Paul writes these words, do everything you can. Everything in your power to keep the unity of the spirit that he gives us here at River Bluff. That he gives in the capital C church. So much so, but Paul, the great book of Romans, man, what a theological wonder, just the book of Romans. Paul concludes in the book of Romans in the 16th chapter, he says this, I appeal to you brothers, watch out for those who cause divisions. Watch out for them and create obstacles contrary to the doctrine that you have been taught. And then he says, avoid them. Brothers and sisters, we are to correct when we see people causing division, we need to go to them. We need to plead with them to stop. You need to take them to Ephesians chapter 4 and, 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 and say, man, in gentleness, with patience, in love, you know, it, because of the bond of peace, we, 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 need to, we need to be in spirit, in unity. But if they will not, if they continue to refuse, the Bible says avoid them. Just, just avoid them. See, this great unity that Jesus gives us, he gave through his shed blood. He gave by allowing himself to be, be for the first time and for uh, separated from the Father. Experiencing the worst kind of hell that you and I cannot imagine and never will by the grace of God because of what Jesus did. He and the Father and the Spirit, they are one. Be eager, be eager, friends, to maintain the spirit of unity in the bond of peace. Let's pray. Father, we come in the powerful name of Jesus. We come giving thanks that you saw fit to model for the church what unity looks like. A father who loves his son and loves the spirit. A son who loves his father and loves the spirit. A spirit who loves the father and loves the son. All of you constantly pushing the other out to be glorified, to be celebrated, to be thanked. And you've called us to have that kind of unity. 
where through humility and gentleness, forbearing, being patient with one another, that we could have an eagerness for unity because of the peace that Jesus, you bought for us. And maybe you're here today for the very first time and you've, you, you did not know. You did not know that you were separated from God by your sin and the only way to him is Jesus. There, there's only one faith. That there aren't lots of roads that lead to God. There's just one. It's through Jesus. And right now, if you come believing that, accepting that, trusting that that is the truth, Jesus said he's also the way to God. And the Bible says if you will call on the name of Jesus with that kind of heart, repenting of your sin, trusting that the only way to be made right with God is not something you can do but what Jesus did on the cross for you, you can be saved right now. You can be like those 14 young people who trusted Jesus this past week for their eternity. And you can be saved. And you'll be baptized by the Holy Spirit immediately. And then we'll help you follow Jesus through baptism in water one day. But God, we come right now, most of us, most of us have been regenerated and the Spirit lives in us, but we have not been faithful to unity. Maybe we have been divisive in some way. Maybe we have in some way created or spoken gossip. Maybe we, we, have, maybe we struggle here, God, and we, we need breakthrough. Maybe it's, we lack humility and we're filled with pride. Maybe, maybe we don't have a spirit of gentleness. Maybe we're not willing to put up with people. Maybe we're not very patient. Maybe we're short-fused. God, right now, Holy Spirit, show us. Because we want to. Because of the great salvation. Because, of, because you're a good and beautiful God. Because of what you did, Jesus. We want to respond. We want our hearts to respond in a spirit eager to maintain unity. Thanks for listening. If you're in North Charleston this Sunday, please consider visiting us at our 9 o'clock or 1130 services. We'd love to see you. Again, for more information, visit riverbluff.org. Now go change the world.